Jimmy Carter was uh, elected to be the President of the United States in 1976, same year uh, Connie and I were married. We can always remember it because it was a bicentennial year, and we got a bunch of pie servers that said 1776 to 1976, so we, we will always remember that. One of the things that Jimmy Carter... Uh, brought into the public sphere is the phrase born again. Born again believer, as he would say. Now, now those with Baptist background up to that point uh, had grown up with that. They had, they had heard that. But up until then, public figures didn't really talk about that. And so he had lots of interviews about, about that and what that meant and, and so on and, and his own faith and it was uh, affirming to some and controversial to others. Now, since that time, the phrase born again has become used for lots of different things. Uh, lots of different arenas. Um, let, me, let me read you from one article. Jimmy uh, Carter popularized the expression so that many groups, including even some people who specifically reject salvation through faith in Christ, use the term for all sorts of religious or emotional experiences, even reincarnation. So that's one kind of idea. And then proving that point uh, further, another article said this, but for those of us who share the Christian faith, the words born again have a very simple meaning. This is his definition, that through a personal experience, we recommit our lives as humble children of God, which makes us in the realest possible sense brothers and sisters of one another. That's a whole different angle than the way Carter talked about it. Certainly different than reincarnation. But let's go back to the, the Christian realm. Many look at uh, being born again as that actual moment when one becomes a Christian. It might be for some uh, their view of when they became a Christian was uh, walking an aisle and making a commitment or maybe praying a prayer of commitment or some other time. And so they're thinking of that moment where they gave their outward expression and that's what they see as being born again. And, and that's really the way President Carter used it as well. So as I begin, I have to actually tell you, I disagree with all of those. But we're going to look at, at it from this passage where that phrase is, and we're going to look at how I am convinced it's used here and in the, in the greater context of, of the Scripture 
and it's not actually that moment of salvation outwardly, but rather it's the idea of regeneration. So I want us to, to look at it, and I'll, I'll be explaining that. And here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to, for this passage, we're going to kind of get up out of the weeds as much as I like to be down in the weeds in a, a passage and look at it, you know, word for word and, and all of those. But we're going to kind of get up out of that and we're going to walk over to the runway and we're going to get on the plane. We're going to go down the runway and then go up and take the 10 or 15 or 20,000 uh, foot look at this passage and see what Jesus was teaching here. So let's pray together. Lord, we would ask that you would open your word to us. That you would teach us your word, which is truth. Help us to understand the context, but, but most of all, we want to hear and to learn what Jesus was actually teaching, what he was saying, and therefore what he wants us to know. And we pray for, for this illumination in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's, uh, let's begin with uh, this passage in, in John chapter 3. As it begins says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, by being identified as a, as a Pharisee, it's, he is basically saying this about him. He is a conservative theologian. He uh, loves his Old Testament, but he also loves the law, but he also believes that it is by obedience to that law that one has a relationship with God. So that's where he's coming from as a Pharisee. And he basically, as a, by calling him a ruler of the Jews, that would be roughly equivalent to saying he was like a seminary professor. So he knew his theology. He knew his Old Testament. He knew the law. And so he's the one that is coming to talk to Jesus. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So the idea of him coming by night, uh, most uh, commentators down through the centuries have agreed that uh, it was because he, he wanted it to be secret. He didn't want, at this point at least, to be identified with Jesus. If he had been officially coming or uh, wanting to uh, do something as 
uh, the Pharisees, although he did kind of say, this is what we think of you, but it seems to be undercover because he could have done that in the daytime. We see many times the Pharisees talk to Jesus, ask him questions in the daytime. So this seems to be more of a uh, of, uh, wanting to keep it private, to dig in a little further, and basically he's kind of saying, okay, so let's talk rabbi to rabbi here. And the implied question behind this was, why are you doing what you're doing? What, what's the deal here? And Jesus gives him a lengthy reply. Verse 3, Jesus answered him. And as always, he, he answers not always just the surface question, but the question behind the question. He says this, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he gives this illustration that most people can, to one degree or another, relate to, and that is birth. Now, what about... Uh, uh, the, how it's translated here, the idea of being born again. That's a valid translation, but there's another nuance here that we at least need to know. I'm not arguing with that translation, but that word that uh, is translated again elsewhere uh, is used from above. For instance, the uh, in the, the temple when uh, the, the great uh, curtain, the veil, was torn from the top to the bottom. It's the same uh, root of that word. So think of, don't, don't forget that aspect of it, that this is being born again, being born from above. So here's the point. It's not being born from below. Not birth like we typically would think of it, but instead from above. Nicodemus said to him, verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I think he knew the answer to that, but he said it anyway. But understandably, he's thinking in a natural sense. This concept that he had, had not quite been able to put together yet. And Jesus answers, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now again, there's the question, what, what does it mean, born of the water and of the Spirit? Some theorize that uh, it's because of uh, John the Baptist and so on that uh, here he's talking about baptism, being born by baptism in the Spirit. The problem with that is that's not taught anywhere that that is your salvation. And so that doesn't seem to fit. 
And then others think, and this one, at least to me, makes more sense, that maybe uh, being born of the water and the Spirit, he's, he's talking about natural birth, the waters surrounding a natural birth, a human birth. You've got to be born that way, but also in a spiritual way. That one at least makes more sense. But there's one other that, that I think, since he is talking to this Pharisee, you know, my question, this is always a good question for us, is what would that particular person ha- have heard when Jesus teaches that? So you always want to look at the audience, who he's talking to. And so an Old Testament man like Nicodemus, I believe, would have looked to this, uh, this prominent passage in Ezekiel 36, and it's Ezekiel 36, 25, and I'll just read it to you, where it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. So there he's talking about a cleansing with water, not in a literal sense. That's not what washes away sin. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit will be put within you. So there we have water and the spirit. But he's talking about putting a new heart in people. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you. So here's here's cleansing from sin as by water. And then being given a new and a righteous standing before God because uh, we were being given a new heart. Transforming our heart. Putting a new one in us. That's what the new birth is. Then Jesus explains it more. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. This is verse 6. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it, its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So here is where Jesus uh, makes it clear that uh, he's not talking about like I mentioned earlier, some look at this idea of being born again. He's not talking about some kind of an outward expression or, or, or praying a prayer or walking an aisle. He's making it clear it's not about a decision we make because no one asks to be born, right? Think about the illustration he chose to use. When he says you must be born again, he's not saying, look, you got to make this happen. He's not saying that. He's saying this has to happen to you like birth. He's not saying uh, you got to make your own birth happen by receiving me. He's saying this is what has to happen to you 
for you to receive salvation. So what he's saying is, you've got to have a new heart, and then you'll receive me. Nicodemus said to him, verse 9, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's him. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Nicodemus here, here's what's going on. Nicodemus shows that he still doesn't get it. And Jesus responds basically, yeah, you not only don't get it, You can't get it unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. So how's that work? Well, he gives you a new heart. Back in Titus chapter 3, it says this. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, so it's not by our works, but according to his own mercy... By the washing of regeneration, there's that word, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That's why we call being born again regeneration. So here's the order of salvation as as I understand this passage and others teaching it. We're born again, we're regenerated, we're born again, and then we receive Christ. Not the other way around. Not we receive Christ and that makes us born again. We're born again, given a new heart, and then we receive Christ. Now let's look at God's motivation for this regeneration. Now, tonight, if you watch the Super Bowl, it's on tonight. Did anybody know that? Yeah. And I'm not suggesting you watch it. If you want to boycott it, fine. Um, But if you watch it, it's likely that in one end, uh, end zone or the other, you may see a man with a a multicolored wig on that holds up a sign that says what? John 3.16 or JN 3.16. Hopefully people figure out that's John 3.16. Why does he do that? Well, because... Some have called that the greatest verse in the whole Bible. Martin Luther said it is, it is the Bible in miniature, that one verse. It tells us about God and the gospel. 
And it is an amazing verse. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, one might think that since it's been called the greatest verse in the Bible, that we would spend the whole sermon on that. The reality is a whole sermon series would not do that justice. But what we're going to do today is, is completely different, and that is I want to simply indicate the reason of why God uh, would put this here. Why is that statement in the middle of this conversation about being born again? Well, the reason it's there is because it, it gives the motivation for why God would regenerate, would give a new heart to those who were unregenerate, who had hearts of stone, It's right in the middle of this passage for that reason. The answer is his great love for us caused the Father to give his only Son so that whoever believes in that Son should not perish but have everlasting life. He did everything that was necessary to provide for the salvation of his people. He's the offended one. We sang about that this morning. The offended one that provides for that offense by giving his one and only son. He did everything necessary for our salvation. You know what? If he didn't, there would be no salvation. And that's the point of what Jesus is teaching here. That's why regeneration is necessary. That's what it's saying in Titus, that it's not about our works of righteousness because we can't possibly have any works of righteousness unless he first gives us a new heart. So that's why John 3.16 is here. In case you wonder why he would do this, it's because he so loved you for this. And then he goes on to explain, so we have the context to both sides of John 3, 16, being born again, and then he goes on to explain why regeneration is absolutely necessary, beginning with verse 18, why we must be born again, as Jesus said. Now, earlier... I quoted to you from Ezekiel uh, 36. In the next chapter in Ezekiel, in chapter 37, is the vision of the valley of dry bones. Do you remember that? Even if you didn't read it, you know the song. Okay? And the song's pretty good. It, it kind of reflects. So, Here's, here's what happened in this valley. God 
takes Ezekiel to this with a, in, a, in a vision. He says, prophesy over all these bones. And he does prophesy, meaning preach, preach to them. And every preacher knows what that feels like. <laughs> Not here. And he began to preach, and the bones started clicking and connecting. And the thigh bone connected to the, you know, <laughs> hip bone. And that, that's what happened. They start coming together, and then flesh is put on those bones, and they're made alive. That's why regeneration is necessary. Because without a new heart, we are dry bones. The dry bones in the New Testament, Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. He said we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sin, same thing. So we weren't mortally ill, but hoping to get better. If the right opportunity came along, we were dead. That means we were unable to respond. And so if there's ever going to be a response to Christ, we have to first be made alive. And that's what regeneration is. Here's how Jesus explains it. Verse 18. Whoever believes in, in him is not, uh, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the, in the name of the only Son of God. So here's what we need to know is that all one has to do to be condemned is Nothing. You don't have to make a choice against Christ if, if you don't receive Christ, you're condemned already. That's what Jesus says here. He's saying that not believing puts one in the category of being condemned, and here's why. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Remember during Advent, we talked about Christ as the light, so the light comes into the world, and people still love their darkness. Uh, verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. That's the natural reaction of the one who does not have a new heart. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So without first being given a new, new heart, there can be no relationship with Christ. So, Dale, are you telling me that I can't choose Christ unless I've been given a new heart and have been regenerated by him, that's what this passage is telling us. We can't. 
it's not within us to be able to do that. Our natural reaction is to, to hate the light, to hide from the light. And so the follow-up question from someone may be, well, if you're telling me that, what if I want to receive Christ, but I haven't been born again first? I haven't been regenerated. Or I haven't been given a new heart, but I want to receive Christ. Well, I'm telling you, the only reason you would want to receive Christ is because he's given you a new heart. Otherwise, Jesus has described the reaction is to get away from the light. So if you, in your heart of hearts, want to receive Christ, then be assured he's already given you a new heart or the want would not be there. Remember uh, Nicodemus that was too fearful to come see Jesus during the day. So he came at night before he was converted. It's obviously before he was converted. He still didn't get it at this point in this passage. We don't have any indication of anything else until later in the book of John, John 19. After the crucifixion, this is what we read. John 19, 38, after these things, meaning the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea, he came and took away his body, that of Jesus. Verse 39, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Somewhere between chapter 3 and 19, Somewhere between there, Nicodemus was born again. That fear of being identified with Jesus became a very public identification where he and Joseph took the body and lovingly prepared it. He became an open follower of Christ. That's not regeneration. It's the result of regeneration. That's not getting born again. It's the result of being given a new heart. So how's it work? From a human perspective, we've said, okay, God's got to do everything, but what about me? Well, he addresses that in this passage as well earlier. Let me take you way back to Numbers 21. You don't need to turn there, but you can later. The Israelites are in the desert. They're in rebellion against God. And as a discipline, as a punishment, because of their rebellion, God sends uh, 
poisonous serpents. And people start getting bit by those snakes. And they start dying, and so they, they go to Moses who intercedes with God and says, what, what do we do here? And God said, I want you to, to make a, a likeness of a serpent and make it of bronze and put it on a pole and hold it up. And, and when someone was bitten, they're to look at that, that which has been lifted up. And when they did that, they were healed and they lived. Back to John 3. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus was saying that way back there in the Old Testament, that situation symbolized what my mission is. We too have been bit by the serpent. We too will experience eternal death unless we look on the one who has been lifted up on the cross. And that's his message to them. Whoever looks on him, whoever believes on him will be saved. Let's bow together. Lord, you, you have told us it's, it's about trusting you alone for eternal life. Will you help us to lovingly and believingly look on the one who has been lifted up to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins? Give us hearts that are enabled to believe. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.